Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's episode of Liberty. I'm your host Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. We are thrilled to have you here this week. Um, please go and uh, I, I really want to thank you for, for being a part of the audience. If you haven't shared the program with all of those who you know, um, anybody who you think should listen to it, we obviously want to have their ears as well. Um, and again, we appreciate your audience. You make all of this possible. Uh, so for this week, we are going to be starting a new series here on the program. It's called The Horrors of Collectivism. And we are kind of alluding a little bit to that Halloween theme uh, throughout the month of October. And this will be an annual series. Uh, and we are going to be looking back, instead of looking at ghouls and goblins and ghosts, we are going to be looking back at the truly terrifying examples throughout our history, the truly darkest moments of our humanity uh, as, as, as a people in our history. And, and that is, of course, the moments where we've rejected our humanity, we rejected our individuality, we sacrificed that for the collective, and the horrors that transpired after that, that is what we will be going over in this uh, little series, this annual series for the month of October. Uh, it's of little coincidence that this year, this month, October of 2017, is actually the 100th anniversary, the 100-year anniversary of the Russian Revolution, the Red Revolution in Russia. Uh, of communism. It's the 100-year anniversary of communism. And that is something that we will be touching on uh, later, communism itself and, and the Soviet Union itself. Uh, but specifically for this episode, I want to touch on a, a pretty close cousin to that of communism. And that is of socialism, specifically Venezuelan socialism. That's what we, what we will be going into in this episode, because it is the most recent, it is the 21st century example of socialism and how it has gone horribly wrong. There is no difference in my mind. There is a difference, but at the root, there is no real substantial difference in whatever form of collectivism we are choosing to to look at. Whether it be communism or socialism, they all result in the same thing. Fascism, Nazism, racism, something that we forget is a another ugly form of collectivism, uh, and even progressivism here in America. They're all part of the same family, and they are all enemies of liberty. That's why I didn't want to just limit myself to um, to communism in the in the Soviet Union or in China or somewhere like that because it all stems from the same trunk. All they're just branches of a tree, and that tree is, of course, as I've said, collectivism. Uh, now, for for this episode, for the purpose of this episode, we are going to be going over essentially. The, the facts and the statistics of the things that you, you need to know about Venezuela, the, the history of how, it, how, how the socialists in that country rose to power, how they turned it and, tra and transformed it into this socialist paradise, and how quickly 
it devolved into a socialist dystopia and a collapsing dictatorship. And then from there, we are going to look at what has resulted from that in today, in today's modern time frame, in the past three to five years, uh, roughly. And then after that, we will be going over uh, some lessons. And, and that's going to be kind of a theme throughout all of these episodes, is that in each one, there is a lesson at the end of them to learn. And while some of them may be a little different in its specifics, because it's very specific to the, to the lesson at hand, to the story at hand, it's not really all that different at all, because socialism, communism, they are all forms of collectivism. And that will be the trend that you will find, is that all the lessons are all the same. But with that being said, let's get right into it. First of all, we, as I said, are going to go over the facts and the uh, stats that you need to know, as well as the history of Venezuela. First of all, it's important to point out that Venezuela is one of the richest countries in the world when it comes to natural resources. This country has over, or the equivalent of, 300 billion barrels of oil. They have 18% of the world's oil reserves. That is incredible. Absolutely incredible. It was at one point the richest nation in Latin America. It has vast resources all over the country. It's lavish and beautiful. It is arguably, as well as one of, at one time, it was one of the richest. It was arguably also, to this day, one of the most beautiful countries in South America, in Latin America, if not the entire world. In 1999, Hugo Chavez was a socialist uh, candidate, and he became president of the country and that began their descent into socialism. But it didn't look like descent at that time. You see, at the time, it looked like things were just fine and dandy. Because of their rich oil reserves, because of their rich natural resources, they were able to prop up uh, the economy for a time being. It was actually one of the best places you could possibly live for, for quite some time. But that did not last very long. It's important to keep in mind how incredible this was and how incredible the world looked at this uh, at this time in 1999 because this was right after the collapse of the Soviet Union. So while everyone else was looking at the Soviet Union saying that this is what communism is, this is what socialism does, this is what this left-wing authoritarianism does, the those on, on the left said no 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 that's that's not right that's that was just that was just communism done wrongly that was socialism done wrongly which is conveniently enough something that they are saying today about Venezuela but at the time they were saying that about the Soviet Union and they were actually pointing to Venezuela as the perfect example as to why socialism is the right way to go. And this is the way that you do socialism. This is the perfect example of it. Look at how successful they are. Look at how uh, rich they are becoming. Well, those voices who were saying that quickly became silent after much of their country 
began experiencing food shortages. How in the world could a country with such vast resources experience something that seems like a third world issue like food shortages? Well, that wasn't the end of it. As things started deteriorating economically, Chavez started ruling with a little bit more of an iron fist, which, ironically enough, seems to be a trend among socialist nations. He strived for income inequality, or excuse me, income equality, and that is exactly uh, what he achieved. With today, it has one of the most income equal nations in the world. Yet despite this fact, they are starving in the streets. He began targeting the rich and the, and the powerful who were not well politically connected. Uh, shortly after uh, his rise to power, he saw the rich as the enemy, if they were against him anyway. He saw America as the enemy because they were the embodiment of capitalism. They were the embodiment of the capitalist boogeyman. They were the reasons why all of their problems existed. So he started seizing oil countries as, or excuse me, oil companies, as all great socialists inevitably do. Well, in 2013, uh, he did not get to see out his socialist vision in Venezuela because he died in 2013. And then Nicolas Maduro became president shortly after. He quickly took power. And that leads us to today's time frame. What has Venezuela reaped? What they had sown was the socialist economy. What they had sown was equality for all. What they had sown was seizing the means of production. What does that translate to today in such a short time frame, mind you? He died in 2013. Things were starting to deteriorate rapidly uh, before then. But it wasn't until after his death that things really kicked into high gear. You see, after his death, uh, Nicolas Maduro was never quite the leader that Chavez was. Chavez was very charismatic, as, as, as most leaders, most authoritarian leaders who, who uh, rise to power and is able to obtain power like this, most of them are very charismatic. They stir the heartstrings of the people. They, they ride on this wave of populism that, that inevitably transforms countries. Well, Maduro never experienced quite the same fortunes. He, he was never quite the orator or, the, or uh, he never had the same charisma that Chavez had. Today, because he kept many of the same policies, if not intensified many of the same policies, Riots are now transpiring in the streets of Venezuela. They intensified shortly after Chavez's death. Public opinion and, and, and public approval of President Maduro quickly spiraled as well. Food lines began forming. It, it, it increased from just merely food shortages to outright food. There, there was no food. Food became non-existent in many places. There's a difference in what would be equivalent of like a hurricane. What, what somebody in, uh, surely in Miami or, or in Florida or in Houston may have experienced after these past hurricanes. 
in, in the United States or even Puerto Rico. That would be food shortages. What they are experiencing today is there is no food whatsoever. They cannot find it. They wait in lines for hours and hours and hours just for the chance, not even the guarantee, but the chance to get bread or to get milk. Inflation continues to skyrocket. It has risen over 700% in Venezuela. In attempting to control this crisis that President Maduro has, he began quickly seizing even more private companies. And now it is safe to say that in order to try to control the crisis, that the socialist dream, the socialist vision, the socialist paradise that it has created in order to control it, the only way is to siege a dictatorship. And that is exactly what he has done. The government has seized many more companies, including... Uh, a GM plant, an American GM plant. They seize, they seize the company and GM pulled out of Venezuela, and as well as many more oil companies. Despite this, things worsened. Things did not get better just because the government took control of it, ironically enough. who Gee, who could have thought of that? Everything from bread to milk to beer, which when you're going through socialist uh, hell like that, you're probably going to need to open up a cold beer every once in a while to get you through it. Well, unfortunately, those don't really exist anymore in Venezuela because all these companies have shut down. They have developed shortages at best. That's if you can even get them. Venezuela's super rich, who are close to the administration, ironically enough, are not experiencing any of these. They go out to country clubs and golf courses in the, uh, with, with President Maduro. They're living the fat life. They are living the life of good times and, and happy livings with, with alcohol and, and, and hors d'oeuvres, all at the expense of those suffering in the streets. Things have gotten so bad in Venezuela today that because they can't even find food in their grocery stores, they have broken into local zoos to try to kill the zoo animals just so they don't starve to death. Here's something that we should certainly be concerned about. Here's the death toll from, uh, from Venezuela so far. As of May and in 2017, after eight weeks of riots and protests, 56 died. 53 of those, after eight weeks of riots and protests, 56 has died as of May in 2017. And 53 of those were civilians, meaning the overwhelming majority. That's not even to include those who were actually injured. That is the result of citizens going into the streets and clashing with the police and the military who are trying to stifle it, who are trying to silence it. What's even worse? The infant mortality rate in Venezuela in 2016, 11.4 thousand. That's up 30% from 2015. That is higher than war-torn Syria 
where they have ISIS. Like, things don't live in Syria. Socialism is killing more children than bombs are. Maternal mortality rates. This is where the mother dies, uh, either during childbirth or shortly after uh, childbirth. Is 756. That's up 65% from 2015. Here's the real kicker. Something to really ponder on when, when somebody talks about how great socialized medicine is. Disease in Venezuela has run amok. There are 240,000 cases of malaria in 2016. That's up 76% from 2015. Diphertia, which Venezuela thought was extinct, returned and infected 200, excuse me, 340, 324 in 2016, which is up from absolutely nobody in 2015. Zika also rose to 71, uh, from 71 in 2015 to 59,000 in 2016. Why is this? Because nobody can afford medical supplies. Despite having, quote, the right to food, the right to care, the right to these things that are positive rights, as we have explained before, and and uh, <laughs> get ready because I'm about to get into it again here very shortly. These things cannot be guaranteed because when government gets involved with it, when they say that these things that are abstract, that are, uh, that, are, that are goods or services, and they try to enforce those things, inevitably what always happens, and this is the perfect example of this, is Venezuela. What always happens is that shortages inevitably follows. And because shortages have inevitably followed in the healthcare market, because doctors cannot afford to stay in business because patients can't afford to pay their their health care even when it's something as low as four dollars they don't have the money to pay for it shortages inevitably follow health care inevitably worsens just because everyone has access to care means nobody has access to true care nobody has access to the quality of care what are the lessons from this? What is the lesson from this? If you recall, back in May, I did a very similar episode into what uh, true socialism is from the eyes of those who actually support it and why they're, why they're supporting something that is so obvious to all of us, why it is so wrong, why it is the biggest killer in human history. The reason why socialism always fails is because... In an effort of trying to solve human nature, they completely remove human nature as a variable in their equation. They think if only the best way to combat the greedy rich from exploiting workers is to become a collective. What they refuse to take into account is that when you become a collective, when you get into this collective mindset then you remove the individual responsibility that you are trying to enforce. That is the ultimate downfall of socialism. That is why Venezuela has gone through 
the same trend that literally every other country who has tried it has gone through with it. And don't point to the to the Baltic states or something like that because they are not socialist nations, not in the way that people uh, talk about socialism. In many ways, they're actually more free than the United States is. But that's another episode. I won't get too much into that. The lesson here that we have to learn is that just because you you write a law, just because you declare something legal or illegal, does not make that fix things. It, it doesn't make things better. Just because you say these people are greedy and your solution is to put infallible men in charge. Guess what? Man is corruptible. No matter who you put in charge, there is always the possibility, especially if their entire purpose of being in charge is to gain more power. The more power man gains, the more it corrupts them. Only if they give away those powers, only if they make individual responsibility their top priority, only then can man be trusted with any form of power, and that's only because the purpose of their power is to ensure that everyone lives by the same rules. That's the only purpose of government, is to protect your rights and to ensure justice. That's it. If we get into a collectivist mindset, we are removing the individual responsibility that limits these horrible, horrible situations that socialists love to talk about. It limits them to the individual. That's the only level that you can actually fix what you claim to be concerned about. Once you get into a collective, you throw all of that out the window. That's our episode for this week. Um, <laughs> we we thank you for, for joining us. That is our first episode in this series. We have plenty more to get into. Um, but I, I thought that the, the best way to kick this series off is to show you an example that's really close to home. And what better case than, than Venezuela to do that? Uh, so a little programming note for next week. We will be going over the, the uh, 21st, or excuse me, American progressivism in the, in the 20th century. Um, after that, the week after that, we'll be going into uh, a little Chinese history and their uh, struggle with, with communism under Mao. And then after that, I am very, very, very happy to announce a very massive guest that we have um, managed to secure on this program and that we will be uh, having. We are, we've already conducted the interview. It's all ready for us. We just have to press publish. And that is on November 3rd, we will be bringing on Dave Rubin of the Rubin Report onto the program here on the Liberty. And let me tell you that that is the, it's the biggest guest that we've had so far uh, here on this program. And it's one hell of an interview that I cannot wait to show with you, to share with you. Uh, so be sure the best way to stay up to date on all of these updates 
is to subscribe to us on iTunes so that you will never miss an episode or an update. Also, be sure to follow me on Twitter, at Caleb France. Follow the show on Twitter, at Mill Liberty. And until next week, we'll see you.